Charles Woodson, Desmond Howard, Denard Robinson, Timonga Bianca Batuka, from Yost to Arbaugh, passed down from generation to generation, Michigan football has stood the test of time. What's that feeling you get when you catch your first glimpse of the big house? When you hear, and take the field. When you see the team emerge from the tunnel, sprint across the field, and touch that famed M-Go Blue banner. Saturdays in the fall, tailgates with friends and family, favorite players, favorite teams, and unforgettable moments. A lifetime of memories. College football in 2020 may be unique, but it has arrived at the corner of Stadium and Main, which is where you can find Michael Spath and Justin Rowe sharing their analysis, their stories, and their emotions about this year's Wolverine. This is the Stadium and Main podcast. Presented by Kapnick Insurance Group, Wolverine State Brewing Company, and Lewis Jewelers. Welcome to the Stadium in Maine podcast. I am Justin Rowe, and I'm here with my co-host, Michael Spath. And we also have on special guest, Brandon Brown, publisher of WolverineDigest.com. Brandon, thanks for coming on with us. How are you doing today? Doing good, man. I've been, I'm getting a, a double dose of you this week, man. We did like, what was it, like an hour and a half the other night, and now, we're, now I'm now I'm being forced to talk with Mike again. I mean, it, you know, it is what it is. I, I just hope that that check you guys promised me is a big one. Oh, it's coming. You know, the, the funny mail, thing about worry. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, just as soon as the, the check that you owe me is coming back to me. Uh, <laughs> no, the funny thing is, is, is about that is Brandon and I pretty much talk like probably four or five times a week and our conversations that we recorded them and, and put them on the podcast um, would be audio gold. Because the, the the shit that we talk about uh, is pretty funny. And, you know, we'll try to encapsulate and capture some of that today on the podcast without swearing, which I just did. So, um, <laughs> guys, we're already off the, off the rails, as we like to say, on, on Inside the Huddle, Brandon. Yeah, man. Red, I'm, I'm glad to be back. Thanks for having me, guys. So, guys, let me ask you this question. Um, this week – we're recording this podcast on Monday evening. You'll, you'll be able to hear it on Tuesday. Uh, Jim Harbaugh spoke earlier today. He, I, I don't know who asked the question, uh, but uh, one of the reporters asked about the quarterback competition. He essentially said it's an open quarterback competition. If you would have told me four games, five weeks into the 2020 season, that Michigan would have an open quarterback competition, I mean, I would have laughed and laughed and laughed and said, no way, not after Dylan McCaffrey – uh, transferred out of the program or has opted to, to leave the program. Brandon, how the hell did we get here? Um, combination of several things, I think. One, Joe Milton hasn't really – he was actually not bad. He wasn't bad heading into this, the game against Wisconsin. He was bad. He had that – inter- that, that one interception where he threw it right into the chest plate of the Wisconsin linebacker was one of the worst picks I've ever seen by a college quarterback. Like, you, you just can't do that. Um, but I think it's – so it's part of – it's partially that. He just was having a really rough day. Wisconsin was already beating the brakes off of Michigan. Get Cade in there, get him a look, and see what he does. I, I don't really have a problem with it. I personally think they should stick with Joe Milton. That's probably a different discussion we might get into here in a bit. But it, they're also like the coaches aren't setting these guys up for, for success, like any of them. I actually have a long video 
uh, breakdown of the fourth down play when Michigan was down 28 nothing, and why that play sucked by it from a design standpoint from the beginning, yet they trot them out there and they ask those, these guys to do what they can't do. And then it looks like they're, it looks like, you know, they don't know how to play. And then Joe Milton gets benched and like, I mean, the game was a disaster. It wasn't Joe Milton's fault. It was across the board. I put so much more blame on the coaches than I do the players at this level. And yeah, I didn't think it was going to happen. I didn't think we'd see Cade McNamara like at all this year, but why not? I mean, in that instance, why not? Give him a shot. Let him throw it around a little bit. He made some nice throws, but I still think Milton's the guy. Justin, you agree? I mean, is this a legitimate quarterback competition, or is this just trying to hit a reset button for Joe Milton? I think it's just trying to hit a reset button. There's, there's no way to me that Cade McNamara is on the same talent level as Joe Milton. And so he, I, I thought that he came in. We've seen it before where a new quarterback comes in when the uh, starter is struggling. And they come in and there's just a boost automatically. And it's not because that quarterback is so much better than the other guy. It's just a, a change of scenery. It's, it's somebody new in there. It's, I don't want to say beginner's luck, but it's that type of a thing. You feel confident. He did make some beautiful throws, though. That touchdown pass by McNamara was a dime. So that was at least good to see. Um, I, honestly, I still think that they'll probably go with Joe Milton uh, here against Rutgers. Um, but to me, this is actually a, a good a sign of something good from Jim Harbaugh because we've seen it in the past where he is so loyal to his quarterback. No matter what, when Shea Patterson, even when he was having a not-so-great game, he would have his back in every press conference saying he's the guy, and he's done it with nearly every quarterback he's had. Finally, it felt like he is now putting some pressure on Joe Milton to say, hey, we've got somebody here that can make these throws, make these plays. So if you can't, we'll put him in. So I feel like that's healthy QB competition where we haven't seen that from Harbaugh. He's stuck with his guy, and it's kind of been a stubborn thing for Harbaugh saying, you know, it doesn't matter what that guy does. He's going to have the starting role no matter what. You know what I think is interesting about this quarterback situation is, uh, you know, week one, what did we all talk about? We all talked about leadership and intangibles and the, the swagger that Joe Milton played with. And, you know, if you depending on who you listen to, whether it was his teammates or his coaches or people like Devin Gardner or his individual quarterback coaches, all you hear, all of them kind of saying is this is a kid who believes so much in his ability, so confident in himself. And here we are four games later, and he looks like a kid that has zero confidence in himself. And I wonder, like, guys, how, like, how do you get there? And if you look at Wilton Spate, by the end of his uh, 2016 season, you know, he started off really well. By the end of the year, he certainly did have an injury uh, to his collarbone, but he was playing, like, his worst football at the end of the year. Um, you look at uh, Brandon Peters, uh, John O'Corn in that 2017 mess of a season, both playing their worst football the later the season went on. Shea Patterson, 2018, uh, his last two games, the worst football that he played in 2018. 2019, Shea Patterson, arguably the second half of the Ohio State game and the entire Alabama game, the worst football he played the entire year. And now we see Joe Milton, four games in his starting career, and he's gotten worse and worse every single week. Like, that to me is a huge – if it's one quarterback, it's an anomaly. When it's five quarterbacks, it's a problem. And it's a problem with this coaching staff that somehow they're making these guys worse. They're regressing each week to week. And one of the things that I've been told repeatedly by a number of former players, 
by insiders that are, that, are, that are working with these kids in the summer is that they coach to not make mistakes. It is do not um, run the football because you don't want to get hurt. Do not run, get outside the pocket because they don't want you to throw on the run. Do not do this. Do not do that. And, uh, you know, Brandon, I, I know uh, you and your, your wife read a lot of these books too. Um, my wife is obsessed with reading like the psychology now that we have a little one-year-old. And there's this whole big theory behind if you're telling your child all the time, don't do this, don't do that, you can get hurt. They're ultimately going to get hurt because they're not doing anything with any level of confidence. They're constantly like looking over their shoulders, second guessing everything that they do. And that's how you screw somebody up. And I think that these Michigan coaches year after year are coaching this way and they're screwing their quarterbacks up. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, Look, Joe Milton had accuracy issues coming out of high school, and there, there were some things to be a little bit concerned with. But I, I'm with you, Mike. I mean, when you've got, you know, the, this kid is six foot five, 245 pounds. He reportedly ran in the 4'6", 4'7", range in winter conditioning. There's clips of him, in, you know, from when he was in high school, running and cutting off double backflips during seven-on-seven -seven tournaments. I mean, the kid's a freak athlete. I've talked to current players, players' parents, former players, they all said that he's one of the most insane athletes on the team when you talk about how big he is and the things that he can do. But you're right. We don't see him moving out of the pocket very much. He didn't run the ball at all on designed runs against Indiana. We saw it very little against Wisconsin. I, I just don't know. Like, I mean, I put an article out about there about how Sean Clifford and De'Aaron King and uh, Justin Fields and um, Trevor Lawrence, even all these guys are running the ball more than Joe Milton is in a game on average. And it just doesn't make any sense. So it's like, you're, you're right. Like they're trying to keep him in this bubble and he's afraid to make a mistake and it's leading to mistakes. It just doesn't seem to add up when you can look at the physical tools that he has and what he could potentially be able to do. I mean, they're not taking a lot of deep shots down the field. They're not letting him run the ball very much. They're not moving the pocket very much. It just seems like, I mean, yeah, take the shackles off a little bit and let him let him play, man. Let it let that let him run around and do some things. They did the same exact thing to Shea Patterson. Mm -hmm. You know, you watch his uh, his uh, film at Ole Miss, and he's running around like a chicken with his head caught off, but making plays. He he's the scramble guy that's gonna make plays. And and I thought that the best that Joe Milton has looked in the, in the last three weeks was when he did scramble and they, and the receivers mm -hmm. did the scramble drill and he found some guys down the field. And so I even saw Shea Patterson in um, whatever league he's playing in now in the uh, semi-professional league. And he had a scramble bootleg that where he made an unbelievable throw on the run. And it was like, how did we never see that, you know, one time at Michigan? So I think it's, it's definitely to your point, Mike, they're handcuffing these guys and it's not well, working out for, for what they Brandon, uh, do you remember, do you remember Brandon? It was, it was the 2019 uh, season, right? Um, or maybe it was the 2018 season. Whenever they played uh, middle Tennessee, was that 2019 or 18? I can't even remember. It was Last 19. Year. Okay, so it's 2019. So um, I charted this early in the season, and it was like he was six of seven any time that he had a rollout where he got outside the pocket, and it was a designed rollout. And it was like the first like game he was six of seven. The second game he was like five of six. All of a sudden he got to week three, and they had like designed rollouts like three times. And I was like, all right, well, that, that was just probably just some type of anomaly. Then the next week it was like once. And the next week it was zero times. And every single time he was a pocket passer. And I'm like, what the hell are they doing? 
Like this guy is a street ball quarterback. And even though that that creates some more risk because you're throwing on the run, sometimes he's throwing across the field and he shouldn't be doing that. But that is who he is. That's what makes him great. And all of a sudden, they just took it away from him completely and said, no, be a pocket passer. And Joe Milton has got a lot more size and, and arm strength, and he can be a pocket passer. But they started, they started they, they had all these things that he did well in week one. He ran the football. They got him in the zone. He threw the ball to the backs, out of the backfield. Uh, he threw a lot of, uh, you know, deep posts and, uh, and, and balls across the middle. And then they went away from that stuff. And I don't understand – why they do that, and why, as you said, they put handcuffs on these guys. And so now you've got a quarterback, four games of his starting career, who's not playing with confidence, who got benched um, in a Saturday night nationally televised game for his backup. All, everybody's calling for the backup now. What are they saying when they sit down with Joe Milton heading into practice this week? And, you know, Jim Harbaugh played the position for a lot of years at a very high level. Ben McDaniels has been around some really good guys. Josh Gaddis is a little, little bit younger, can relate. I mean, you would, you would like to think that they're saying all the right things, but the problem is we just haven't seen the evidence of it. So th- this is, again, where we can – you know, this is, where, this is where the people in that building and on that team, they go and sit in front of the media every week and they say, we don't pay attention to what anybody says. We don't really care about what anybody says that's not in the building. They don't know what we do. They don't know how, it's, how it is for us. And they're right. We don't know. But what we do know is what we see on TV or on the field every week, and it ain't good. And you can, like you said, mm-hmm. one quarterback is, a, is an anomaly. Two is a, okay, okay, three, four, five quarterbacks. Like, we, dude, like we're seeing it over and over again. So something's up. And so yeah. it, it, it's, it's a problem now at this point that I don't know if they know how to fix or, or maybe they don't even try. I, it, that's where we, we just don't know. We don't know what goes on. We don't know what's said. We don't know what kinds of things they're doing to, you know, you, build, you break a guy down and you build him back up. Like that's a big part of football. Quarterback is tricky. And especially a guy who's in his fourth start, like you said, Mike, national TV, they're getting drilled already by Wisconsin. Then you put him on the bench and then Cade goes in and has an amazing drive. And now everybody's, you know, calling for Cade McNamara to be the guy. And it's just like, it's just, it's just a horrible, it's like the most, it's all, all the toxic things that you would hope never happened to your starting quarterback just Mm -hmm. happened on Saturday. You know, and here's the thing about what you just said, Brandon, is, is so now everybody's calling for for Cade McNamara and Jim Harbaugh in his you know post game press conference on Saturday and maybe a little bit in his press conference on Monday was talking about you know a little bit like hey we're gonna figure out what guys are made of well look hold on a second now we're putting it on the, the player like we're gonna see what you're made of if you're tough enough if you can withstand uh, you know getting a bench but for four weeks you've been breaking him down and breaking him down and stripping him of his confidence. And now if he doesn't respond positively after you've torn him down, then it's on the player. Like, give me a break. Like, that's a bunch of BS. Like, I, I'm sorry, but there's no successful business, no successful leader where you tear people down and then say, let's see how they rise up to this challenge. That's, this is not, you know, even the Army, even that, I mean, other than like the Navy SEALs who like put you through like the absolute, you know, hardest, hardest stuff in the world. To, to, and they, they want you to quit, and then you've just got to have this incredible self-drive to be able to stay going. Other than that, where, where does this work? Where does this philosophy work where you just tear down, tear down, tear down, tear down, and I, then expect that person just to go out there and do it? I can think of a place. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. But, uh, Tom Izzo? <laughs> no, we, 
Mike, you and I probably shouldn't talk, shouldn't speak on that, but I, I agree. Oh, yes, 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 I know. I agree, I agree. I just think, I just think, um, I just think so many things that you never want to have happen to your new starting quarterback, like you said, in his third or fourth game happened. And like, I just, even if, even if he does start against a Rutgers team that, God, I just, you can't even say a team that Michigan should beat anymore. You literally cannot even say that at this point, but mm-hmm. a Rutgers team that Michigan should beat, hopefully, you know, if it is Joe Milton, he can go in there and build some of that confidence back up on his own, if that's how it's being handled. And if it is Cade McNamara, then Joe Milton's done. I mean, right. I mean, he, he's done. He'll, he'll, yeah. he, I'm sure he's going to transfer and then probably ball out somewhere else. Honestly, could um, you I, imagine I a scenario where you finish the 2020 college football season and both Dylan McCaffrey and Joe Milton are out of your wild. program? Oh my God. That is, that is a tough one to swallow. Tough one to even imagine. That's, that's really what people want though, because JJ McCarthy is Tom Brady and waiting, right? Yeah, so was Shay, yeah. so was everyone else. They all were. You know, it's a, there's, there's been how many different saviors that have come to Michigan, and not one of them has panned out, including Jim Harbaugh. And look, I, I like J.J. McCarthy as a prospect, but I, I wouldn't bank on him being the starter as a true freshman. I don't think he's that kind of talent. He's not, he's not Trevor Lawrence, you know. I yeah. just, he's really good, but, like, it's rare. It's rare for a quarterback to come in at a big-time program and, and be the guy from day one. It just doesn't happen that often. And you know I mean, what, took, too? Um, it, took Lawrence, it took Trevor Lawrence four or five games before he even took over the starting job. I mean, like, it just doesn't happen. Right. And, and going back to what you were saying, Mike, about, you know, being so hard on these guys and the Navy SEALs, and, and I've heard from NFL agents that deal with these four- and five-star guys that come out of Michigan that he has no idea how to treat these guys. He treats – Harbaugh treats everybody the same, which – you think on the surface, okay, great. He, you know, doesn't give favoritism, all that stuff. But when these guys are four- and five-star recruits, they're treated like kings throughout their recruiting process. So for them now to, to show up on campus and be treated like shit, you know, it doesn't work out for a lot of these guys. You have to, you know, pump them up. And, and a lot of them are the prima donnas. So there's a way to navigate that. And he obviously doesn't know how to do that because – he knows how to get the three well, stars, and he doesn't know how to get the yeah. four five stars. So, um, I, I, I so think the argument some... behind, yeah, the argument, Justin. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But the argument behind Jim Harbaugh is that he treats all of his guys uh, like they're professionals, and so he he gives them, yeah. I mean, you're you're right to some degree that he doesn't treat them differently, uh, anyone differently, but he doesn't. He's not a rah-rah guy. He's not a great motivator. I, I think that has become abundantly clear, um, that he doesn't know how to really, really galvanize and bring people together, um, you know, in a way, especially game time. Uh, that, and, and that's why, you know, if, if we're really dissecting why this team comes out flat or why they've, they're whatever it is, 0-7 as true underdogs, why they lose all the big games against, uh, you know, good competition – I honestly think a lot of it from talking to his former players the last few years comes down to the fact that in, in preparation, he is so dialed in. It's like all about like everybody being their own self-starter that he doesn't do a good job actually firing up his team pregame. He doesn't do a good job 
putting putting things on the line that are going to motivate them. And so I think what you get is you get a, get a group that um, from the moment they get off the bus until the moment the game starts, if they haven't if they haven't created their own personal uh, excitement for the game, their coach isn't doing it for them. And, you know, you look at, like, great leaders like Devin Bush the last couple of years of what he did against Michigan State, and, you know, he created that energy for himself. And it's just it's, – it's lacking overall. And I think that's a big part of why they struggle uh, because he does not provide uh, that level of energy for them in, in pregame situations. And out and touching the banner, like, I don't – like, I feel like guys were just like – you know, like, they just, like, waved at it. Like, they didn't even – it was – it was, I mean, I, and I know they're one and two, and I know they probably didn't have a lot of confidence coming into that game, but it, it looked, it looked, it was so clear and so obvious, even watching on TV, that they were without emotion, without fire, and just not ready to play. And that's how it played out. I mean, that's exactly how it played out. They can, look, they can say that they were, like, I think somebody asked him about that, asked Harbaugh about that during his presser on Monday. They, they, he can say that they were ready and that they played hard and that the energy level was fine and that everything was ready and that they were fired up, but they weren't. Period. I mean, period. They were not. They had one yard in the first quarter. You're not fired up and ready to play when you have one yard in the first quarter and you're losing 28 to nothing at halftime. I'm sorry. You just you don't have a leg to stand on with that argument. Does not being fired up, is that enough of a reason to lose by 40, though? You know, that's my question. Not being, not being fired up can get you off to a bad start and then you have to fight back or something, but that's not, that's not uh, enough for me to say, yes. Okay. Now I understand why they lose by literally 40 points Um, because we can go back to um, Ant Wright's uh, tweet that he put out on Twitter where Michigan has two five stars and 44 stars on their roster. Wisconsin, Indiana, and Michigan State combined have one five-star and 26 four-stars. That is an absolutely Mm -hmm. staggering stat. So fired up or not, and you can talk about that in the secondary and the offensive line, they're struggling for talent. They have talent on paper as far as the recruiting rankings go. So fired up or not, you should still be able to put a good product on the field and have them compete in the Big Ten. Well, it's not. Well, I'll, I'll I'll let I'll let Brent, hold on, hold on a second, Brent. I'll let you weigh in on the recruiting thing in a second. But I, I'll get a kick out of this. Is so I was talking to, uh, I'm not going to say who, but I was talking to someone who is generally a very strong defender of Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan coaching staff, and just saying like, well, you know what, uh, a lot of those guys are probably overrated, and so you can't go off of recruiting stars. And I laughed and I said, well. So what if they are overrated? Those are the 25 guys each year that this coaching staff picks. Like this, those are the guys that they went out there identified and said that they were going to win with. So who, who cares if they're overrated compared to Indiana, Wisconsin? It still means that the coaching staff did a poor job of judging character and figuring out the guys that they were going to win with. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, they, they, you either have more talent than the other team and you're not using it right or you're identifying the wrong guys and they're not as talented as you thought. And that's a huge part of their job. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's whatever metric you want to look at because it's, if, if, if people want to come back and say like, oh, well, those recruiting rankings are never right. I mean, you can't go off of that. Well, what about how many guys are going into the league from Michigan versus Indiana versus Michigan State? Now, Wisconsin, you, you could start to make a little bit of an argument there. But still, coming out of high school, there's, there's a big pool of guys that everybody wants. And then there's a pool that other people – you know, you, you've got to fish around a little bit and find something that works for your system. And clearly Wisconsin 
has been phenomenal at that for a long time. And the, again, it just, it never should really, it never should result in losing by 38 points. It just shouldn't. I mean, the, the talent gap is not that big and you could make the argument that Michigan actually has more talent than Wisconsin. I mean, most people would say that based on just about every metric there is out there. So I, I mentioned to you guys before we started recording, I wanted to ask Jim Harbaugh that question so badly, but it just there, it, there's really no way to present it without it sounding like a shot, but like, it is what it is. Like Jim, no matter where you look, you've got more talent than all three of those teams combined, arguably. How do you explain losing to Indiana by 17 and Wisconsin by damn near 40 and Michigan state at all? Like, how can you justify or explain that in a football sense? Please enlighten us all. Like, that's what I want to say, but you know, he's not going to answer it. He's going to dance around it or he'll do worse. He'll say that he, you're actually insulting him and he'll just ignore it altogether. Cause we saw that last year after the Ohio state beat down, somebody asked him a very legitimate question about the gap and he wouldn't answer it. Hey, welcome back to the Stadium of Maine podcast. And you know, one of the things I, I love to do is I love to talk to uh, the, the people um, you know, running a lot of these small businesses and from all walks of life. Uh, and of course, you know me, I love to eat and I'm a big fan of bourbon and wine and beer. And joining us here today, all the way up from uh, Traverse City is Brian Hosmer, the winemaker uh, at both Hawthorne Vineyards and Chateau Chantal. Uh, Brian, thanks very much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Brian, I've always been curious, how does someone end up a winemaker? Um, you know, I know that you can go to school for this, but where did this passion come from? Uh, and kind of how, how did you navigate uh, through this world to end up uh, in Traverse City now for the last 15 years? I, was, I grew up in Flint, and so this is not a typical job for someone that comes out of Flint. But what happened was I went to Michigan State and went on a study abroad trip there, and I ended up in Europe. And through that, I was able to end up in quite a few different wineries and wine regions and came back realizing that was something I was very interested in and then took my Bachelor of Science and applied it to a master's degree in science, which was in horticulture at Michigan State. And then, um, and then eventually into is with a specialization in winemaking and grape growing. And, and then obviously, so, um, you know, that, that took you to, to different places and uh, you ended up in Traverse City. And um, why has Traverse City been such a, such a great place uh, for winemaking in the state of Michigan? I mean, there's certain little other pockets, uh, but it is, it, is, it is the mecca of, of wine um, in our state here. Um, it's kind of, when I came out of school, I was looking to work in a winery and I kind of thought I would end up in Southwest Michigan as well. But at that point in time, they hadn't really shifted from uh, farmers making wine to actually having a lot of winemakers brought in and farming being a separate activity. So uh, Northwest Michigan really kind of got onto that a little bit earlier where there was, you, you almost separated, not completely because you have to be involved in the vineyard, but there was uh, professional winemakers more likely involved in the situation. So partly we're here just because of, of the lakes and that's you know made it possible to even grow the grapes. But then professionally, as far as that goes, there are um, some more wineries that were moving in that direction, more wineries moving in that direction, as you say, but now it's, it's kind of evening out between Southwest and Northwest. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like there was a greater investment from, from uh, ownership um, up in Traverse City, and, and that led to more of like the professional winemaker versus, as you said, 
farmers uh, trying to do it, uh, you know, with their own crops type of thing. And so uh, one of the ones that uh, did that is the is the first one that you worked with, uh, Chanteau Chantal. Uh, tell us about their their production, their facility, uh, and what uh, what what makes their wine and the wine that you work with up there distinctive. So here at Chateau Chantal, we are out on Old Mission Peninsula, which is a little bit north of Traverse City, uh, right coming right out of downtown. Essentially, it's a little peninsula. You know, there's New Law and Old Mission. And so out here, we have, um, you know, we're out at the end of this peninsula. We have a lot of very different vineyards because of this. Uh, we are controlled by the water temperatures around us that really drives what we're capable of doing. And out here, we have about um, 100 acres that we manage an additional 30 that we contract with. And so we have a winery that we have about 100,000 gallons in capacity and we make maybe 50, 60,000 gallons of wine a year, which comes out to about 20,000 cases, uh, 12 bottle cases. So it's a fair amount of production. And what, what makes it different is that we have these types of growing conditions and, and soil types that differentiate us from a lot of other regions that are a lot uh, more, maybe might know of more readily, but what we have are very, very aromatic and pretty wines that stand out because of the conditions that we have. Well, and it's interesting because, um, you know, doing that there, and then you're also the winemaker at Hawthorne Vineyards, which, uh, um, one of the things I love about Old Mission Peninsula is each winery has very much its own distinctive uh, flair and its distinctive like atmosphere and energy. And Hawthorne is very different than Chateau Chantal. And so uh, how did you, you know, how did you get picked to, to run a second uh, winery? And it, what is the challenge of that? Because obviously, uh, you know, each, each place is going to want kind of like their own signature type of wine. Yeah, so we actually, Hawthorne Vineyards, the vineyard itself was originally owned by an investor of Chateau Chantal, and he got older and wanted to sell it. Um, but right before he died, he sold it to Bruce Hawthorne. And so then from there, Bruce Hawthorne decided that he wanted to put a winery in, because this was around uh, 2008 when the housing uh, crisis kind of happened, and he had planned on putting houses in there as well, but that kind of took a back seat to the idea of building a winery and so we talked a bit and we went and tasted some of his favorite wines what he wanted to do and luckily his site lent itself towards that style of wine that he likes and one of the defining features of that site is really this big clay pocket in there that changes the dimensions of the wines and, and how they taste in the mouthfeel and so they lent themselves to more a little bit larger darker structured kind of wines that he was looking to uh, have for his style. And so we were able to build around his desires and, and the style that they would like to have, partly, but it just kind of was fortuitous that the site allowed that. You really can't force it to do what it won't do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, Brian, one of the things that I love about that area too, especially Old Mission Peninsula, uh, you guys are, are kind of a, a, a collaboration, wineries of Old Mission Peninsula, uh, WOMP, W-O-M-P, uh, and there's a lot of great events throughout the year that you guys all kind of work together um, on. And so um, there's, I mean, w I mean, it, it seems like it's a friendly collaboration. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't get the sense that there's this massive rivalry between wineries. I think there's kind of this understanding that, you know, people come up and, 
they probably don't come up for one winery. They come up to experience all of the wineries. And, uh, and, and that's what kind of makes Traverse City unique is like this uh, great community of everybody kind of working together uh, to, to better North, uh, Northwest Michigan and all the businesses up there. Yeah, there is a sense of collaborative competition up here because without each other, you're right, you need almost like a, a certain level of wineries to draw people to make it a destination. And so we do have that, but then we also have the youthfulness of, of the region to an extent where we have a lot of people that are still, well, us winemakers are willing to get together and, and discuss and compare what we're seeing in, in, to establish what it is that actually is what we call typicity for the region, for the wines. And so we do all know each other. We do work together in a sense and that we get together and we've tasted each other's wines and told each other what we do. And you, like, like with the two vineyards between Hawthorne and Chateau Chantal, I could do the exact same thing and still result with different wines. So there isn't really this uh, competition or worry of competition in the sense that like, I could tell you exactly what I do and it would still come out different. Brian, I wonder too, I mean, you know, I wonder how busy you guys were this summer. And it seems like a lot of, you know, we have, uh, we have a family cottage in Holland, Michigan, and uh, we have some friends who live up in Traverse City. And one of the things that they noticed was a lot of people, uh, once the stay-at-home order was lifted in June, a lot of people um, like, hey, I, I'm operating, I'm working from home anyway, I might as well just go stay in my vacation cottage and hang out there. And it seems like a lot of uh, you know, and, and Traverse City is unique in that there's a lot of people that live there, but there's also a lot of people that vacation there. And I wonder if you guys felt a little bit of the, the crush because there's so many more people in some of these destination cities than uh, than typically just live there year round. Yeah, that that was that's a true story. We have seen a lot more of that. the The housing market here has not had any trouble. I mean, it's in fact it's been kind of growing from that perspective, and that with this pandemic there has been more of a push to put things online or remote so it, it is making some of that different uh, there's also the uh, the growth of broadband up here as well I suppose that's contributed to some of that although it's not everywhere to have high-speed internet this far out um, there aren't a lot of highways that come in and out of Traverse City in fact they're more like two-lane roads if they are labeled mm -hmm. as a highway as you know coming up here so it is still a little difficult to get here um, we did see a lot more people, not more people than a typical year necessarily, but what we would see is in a normal year, it'd be focused on the weekends and it's more spread out now throughout the week. And it, mm -hmm. it is still challenging trying to uh, deal with people, but the reservation systems that we have have slowed down some of those influxes. And it used to be there would be a lot of bus trips and groups that people would come up, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 people at a time, and that's gone away. But that eases some of the congestion and the boom and bus cycles in the in the tasting room where you have almost too many people at one point in time. So it is mm -hmm. leveled out and you know it is kind of people just trying to get out and experience something different and look at something and you know it is very pretty up here as well. So we have a lot of outdoor activities. Even the national parks up here have seen record numbers. Well that's really cool. And that's that's great taking advantage of it. And I know we're in this uh, three-week pause, uh, you know, dine-in restrictions. Um, hopefully, cases will, will, will ebb the other way instead of the surge we have right now in the state of Michigan. Uh, and we'll get back to enjoying, um, you know, some, some opportunities uh, at wineries, at breweries, at the, uh, the restaurants. Um, if you'd like to learn more, uh, probably the, the, the 
the best site is Omp Wine Trail, O-M-P Wine Trail.com. It lists all the uh, wineries of Old Mission Peninsula. Uh, our guest, Brian Hosmer, uh, ChanteauChantel.com, uh, and also HawthorneVineyard.com uh, to learn more information. And Brian, what's next? Is there a third vineyard uh, that you've got your eye on that you'll become the winemaker of? Oh, there's always more vineyards kind of popping up. There's always <laughs> fun little projects going on, lots of schemes, starting another small business as well. But, you know, these we're doing something called the 1855 project as just a small startup. Nothing too crazy at this point. Um, it's, it's a difficult business environment to start something in right now. And, and as you mentioned with the breweries, they're kind of in a, a tougher spot than we are. So I feel bad for them and that they are caught up with the fine dining, but we are still making wine. We don't get to stop because the vineyards don't stop for creating fruit. <laughs> So we're on this uh, almost an annual treadmill that keeps things interesting for us and always finding new fun things out there to make. Well, Brian, we wish you the very best of luck. And uh, my wife and I cannot wait till we're back up in Traverse City, hopefully this, uh, this winter uh, to enjoy uh, the, the wine and the atmosphere and all the great things uh, of Traverse City up there. Well, thank you. Hope to see you soon. You know, you're talking about Harbaugh in his press conferences and everything else. And so today, he's, his quote was, I'm energized as a coach. Hopefully you can tell it's in my eyes. I'm cheerful, excited to go coach the day. Never going to stop, never going to quit, never going to slow down. Going to keep coaching, guys. Not sure I can live without that. So that's what I'm going to do. I want to hear from you who was staring at him during this press conference. How cheerful did he look? How excited and energized did he look in his eyes to be coaching that football team? Because – I watched him on the sideline on Saturday in the fourth quarter while the rain was pouring down, and he looked about as dead inside as a man can be. He's looked like that since after the Michigan State game, if you ask me. I mean, he's – I mean, you know, no coach is ever going to be, like, pumped after a loss. But he, he has looked – I mean, I, I put a story out. I don't remember if it was the, the bad losses are running together at this point, but I put a story out after one of them that said Jim Harbaugh is a defeated man. Cause it's like, it's all over his face. And I mean, he, you mentioned he took, he took his glasses off today and looked in the camera real close for the presser to like, look in my eyes. Like you just you know, whatever the quote was. And I'm just like, there's no way you like you one, there's no way you feel that way too. There's no way you expect us to believe it. Right. And three, it certainly doesn't look like it. So, I mean, like, whatever angle or whatever like you know jab you want to take at that quote like they all fit and I, I just don't I mean look I he, he's he's you know half of Jim Harbaugh's DNA is football leather like I get it like that's all that dude knows he loves it to its core it's everything for him and his whole family like I get that and I'm sure he does want to want to exude that like okay I'm just gonna get back after it we got to get back on the field we got to coach we got to play football 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 like I get that like that's all he really can do but man it's uh it's hard to believe I mean I don't I don't believe it and you know like you said the look the look on his face just seems to tell a completely different story yeah I wonder about that too guys because I mean I just you know, I wonder how much of that is legitimacy and how much of it is Jim Harbaugh responding to his critics, because I don't think he lives in a vacuum. In fact, I know I know um, that uh, he hears the criticism, that the family hears the criticism, because 
I mean, we've, we've seen his wife, you know, with an outburst before uh, at a press conference uh, thinking that it's, you know, he's getting the, the raw deal. Um, and I know that his, you know, his parents think that he's, you know, kind of getting, uh, you know, pushed aside or, or that there's some, you know, unfair blame coming uh, his way. And so I wonder how much of that was just him responding to kind of like the, the noise, the din. And look, honestly, like if, if he believes that he's going to be the coach of the future, and maybe he does, um, and he's got this big recruiting class coming in, like he can't keep on looking like a zombie in, in press conferences. He can't keep on looking like a zombie on the sideline because that's the type of stuff that will immediately uh, deter kids from coming uh, to Michigan in the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, it, it's pretty surprising to me seeing him on the field and seeing how – uh, defeated he looks, and then he comes out and says this, but also how, how this administration and how even the, the future commits are talking about him like, yes, he's still the guy. We still think that we believe in him, all this stuff. And I'm, I, I'm sitting here watching him on the sideline like, I don't think he believes in himself. You know, so so how can you say that? So it's interesting uh, to to kind of see all that happen because I'm I it, it's I think what's going on behind closed doors must be uh, about a 180 degree difference than uh, what we're seeing on the field, which um, is obviously not a good product. Well, here's the thing, and and we can we can talk about that a little bit because a couple of the the commits all had comments after the game about you know, hey, we're going to turn this around. And, and, you know, we were discussing it before the podcast began. You know, some of these guys saying, like, well, my class will be the one that won the championship. And, you know what, hey, power to them. They're 17, 18-year-olds. They believe that. Um, the difference is, and the reason why I don't give any, put any credence into what they're saying and also why I don't give them a hard time about what they're saying is that they don't have perspective, right? Like, you know, as, as Justin, as you said earlier, I mean, every class that's come through has said, we're going to be the one that turns us around. Joe Milton's class said this, Aiden, you know, that that's part of Aiden Hutchinson and Shea Patterson when he came here. And everybody says that they're going to be the one that wins a championship. And that's good. You want them to have that type of confidence and bravado and belief in themselves and be rallying the guys around uh, to accomplish that. At the same time, I mean, it's, you know, history is not on their side, right? I mean, history is not saying that they're going to come here and win a championship. Uh, history is not even saying that they're going to come here and win a a game against Ohio State, or that they're going to go 50, you know, they're going to go 500 against Michigan State while they're here. Um, you know, those are all things that when you have perspective, when you've been following this program for as long as, you know, we have, then you can see those things much more than a recruit can. So I don't, you know, and, and people are talking about, well, hey, J.J. McCarthy, have faith. And, but, you know, understand that, like, to me, the problem with, I'm not saying the problem with J.J. McCarthy, but the problem with like, believing into that is that we talked about earlier, they keep on wasting their quarterbacks. And so if you think that somehow all of a sudden in 2021, J.J. McCarthy is going to come here from the IMG Academy and he's going to be your salvation and he's going to be the one that takes you to a championship, I mean, goodness, like there's no evidence whatsoever that these coaches know how to coach up a quarterback, that these coaches know what to do with a talent like that. And so I would not be, I would not be banking on that. I would be banking on, you know, a better coaching staff being put in place than this coaching staff finally figuring out what to do with a kid like J.J. McCarthy. Yeah, I, I don't have it's, – it's tough because going into this season, I had a lot of confidence in Josh Gaddis, and I was thinking he was going to be the guy 
that has now been able, you know, to develop the, the quarterbacks, change them into a different kind of system, use these guys. He has so many weapons. How many times, Mike, did we say that earlier this year? And we said, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, Josh Gaddis has so many weapons. We think that he'll be able to figure it out somehow. Um, and yet it's been I, – I think the, the play calling uh, in, the, in the last couple games – has been worse than any time that Jim Harbaugh was calling the plays in 2015, 16, 17, um, and 18. So it's, it's very frustrating to watch. And then obviously Don Brown um, is struggling, giving up 350 rush yards. Um, the one bright spot on Saturday, I will say, was the, the D-backs uh, played pretty mm-hmm. well. Vincent Gray and Jamon Green actually pl- uh, played pretty well. And you can argue that, well, um, they didn't throw the ball that much because they ran for 350 yeah. yards. Um, but yeah. they still, in the, in the times that they did get targeted, I thought they did play pretty well. Uh, but progress is progress, guys. Progress is progress. Exactly. We'll take it where we can get it. Um, I did want to get your takes on, on this, too. Um, I think we're all kind of in agreement that Harbaugh, for some reason, for whatever reason, will probably still have his job in, uh, in 2021. Um, do you think that both Don Brown and Josh Gaddis will be gone after this 2020 season or will, will one or both of them stay as well? I'll let Brandon go first. Yeah, man, that's a, that's a tough question. I I just, I mean, first of all, the year, the year makes it weird. Like just anything involving contracts and money, like these schools are, are, you know, so concerned and, you know, rightfully so they've got to be concerned about their image and what the public believes and thinks about them. And, you know, the president is thinking about a lot more than just the football program and the athletic director is also doing that. So like that, that throws a wrench into it. That that's unlike any other year of just, it's all about football. I, I don't think Jim Harbaugh is going to get rid of him. I just, I, I mean, I just, I have this like sneaking feeling that he, again, based on what he's saying, you know, he's asked, he was asked, like, do you have confidence in Don Brown? I do. I do. I have a, you know, like immediately he says that, like, again, I don't expect him to come out and throw, throw his coaches under the bus, but I mean, it's, it's so hard to answer because you're not going to get a straight answer from him in a press conference. And based on what we see week in and week out, he's not forcing the hand and telling them to change. It doesn't look like it anyway. And if it is changing, it doesn't look any different. It's having the same kind of Mm results. So, I mean, you know, it's it's the old, it's the it's the old adage, man. Actions speak louder than words, and there have been no actions. I mean, he's not saying in a press conference like, "I'm taking over the play calling duties" or "I'm shifting Don's responsibilities over to Zord." I mean, like you could do any number of things, and nothing's happening, at least on the surface. And again, if it is happening behind closed doors, it doesn't look like it on the field. So, I mean, it's you know, four games through this eight game season. Like, I don't think any decisions need to be made right now necessarily although I would be fine if uh if Don Brown wasn't doing I mean some of his stats over the last five games are not bad they're like worse than the Big Ten bad so there, yeah, there's yeah. there's grounds for making a change there I think but I, I just don't I don't see it happening I just don't see any evidence of anything like that happening yeah I think I think Brandon you retweeted the um stat I don't know who posted it originally that the last two games against Wisconsin Michigan's given up what what 900 yards of offense including 700 yards rushing um and has been outscored uh whatever it is like 84 to um 84 to 25 or something like that in the last two yeah. games and 
I mean, all, all these crazy numbers. And, you know, Don Brown this week, they tried Carlo Kemp at defensive end uh, to get some more, what I imagine was, was geared towards getting some more size and strength on the field because then you had Chris Hinton and Donovan Jeter playing defensive tackle. I mean, that didn't, you know, that didn't work out for, for Michigan very well. And I thought it was interesting that maybe Wisconsin was uh, keen to that pretty quickly because they didn't attack the middle of the defense very much. They attacked the edges of the defense where they thought Michigan was now vulnerable uh, without those defensive ends that could hold the edge. Uh, and so they, they immediately, they immediately were like, Hey, Don Brown, here's your checkers move. Here comes our chess move. Um, and just completely, you know, voided any, any type of, uh, you know, alteration that he made to his defense. I'm with Mike, you, Brandon. I don't think. Let me yeah. let me throw something at you real quick before you wrap up your argument because I think we're on the same page here. But rushing yards allowed, rushing touchdowns allowed, passing yards allowed, passing touchdowns allowed through four games in the Big Ten, Michigan is dead last in all of four of those categories. Wow, that's 14th incredible. Of, Even fourteenth in the Big yeah. Ten, rushing yards, rushing touchdowns, passing yards, and passing touchdowns, tied with Rutgers for passing touchdowns for fourteenth. For all four categories. Wow. Even John right now, my little boy is sitting there going, yeah. He's, he's all, all worked up about Don Brown's uh, coaching performance here. So, so guys, yeah, I mean, we were criticizing Don Brown when he was getting beat by, you know, as you said, Justin, I mean, he, he had a top 10 defense, but he was getting wild by the good teams. Now these first four games, he, he got beat by two good teams, Wisconsin and, and uh, Indiana, who are both have, good offenses this, this far, but, um, you know, Michigan state, not a good offense. And they went out there and, and really kind of just, you know, took advantage of Michigan secondary. And now we're going to see this Rutgers and Penn state. I mean, two teams that really haven't been that good this year. Rutgers has put up a little bit of a fight, but, uh, you know, they just lost to Illinois 23 to 20, uh, Penn state is 0 four. If these two teams go out there and just keep on doing the same thing to Michigan, that everybody else has been doing to Michigan. I don't think there's any defense for it, but I don't think there's been any defense for it you know, all season and certainly even the Ohio state games giving up, you know, 250 combined points in the last two games. I mean, he's been really bad. And yet Jim Harbaugh has been steadfastly standing by him. I'm if Jim Harbaugh is back next year, Brandon, here's where I agree with you. If he is back next year, I don't think he's back uh, without Don Brown and Josh Gaddis by his side. I think he is kind of, kind of say like a power play move. Um, you know, you either get rid of me or, or, and, or I'm going to make my decisions. And these are the guys that I believe in. Um, and so, I, God, I mean, I just think it's crazy to think about that the staff could return largely intact. Um, but I think that's the case. He is so loyal to Don Brown. Like he, he thinks the world of Don Brown that I don't see him moving on from him, even if uh, Ryan Day goes out there and hangs 70 on them in the last game of the regular season. Yeah, I agree. It's crazy, Mike. You mentioned, you know, these next games, it's Rutgers, Penn State, Maryland, right? And then they finish the year with Ohio State. Um, don't you think both – I mean, both of you guys weigh in here. I mean, I don't think I'm crazy. I know what I'm talking about, talking about too. Don't you think Rutgers legitimately thinks they can win this weekend? Why wouldn't you? Exactly. Like, that's insane. That That's insane to me. But like Mike just said, if we see over the next couple of weeks, these next – I mean, Penn State's still Penn State. They, they, you know, I don't know how they're 0-4. They've got talent, too. But Rutgers-Maryland on the outside of those two games, on the outside of the Penn State game, if they, if they throw the ball all over Michigan and they're able to move the ball on offense and this, and this defense remains in the cellar, like, I, 
I, I don't I don't know how you, I don't know how you defend like I don't care what Don Brown did in the past like that is just that's as that's as that's as inexcusable as these three losses have been I mean it's a big it's the biggest reason why they were losses so I don't know how I don't know how you defend it as 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 Jim Harbaugh as the as the employer I don't know how you defend that well it seems like every week Brandon it's like we're at rock bottom and then there's like this thick layer of you know, shit underneath it. And then that's where Michigan finds himself every new week. So maybe they're just going to keep digging a little bit deeper. Our standards are now so low for Michigan football and they yet still come out every week to disappoint. It's, it's like watching the lions. It it really is like watching the Detroit lions. So, I mean, so all week long leading up, you know, Mike said earlier in the podcast that we talk quite often. Sometimes it's about, you know, the babies or, a lot of times it's about football jobs, whatever. But we were talking a lot about, you know, I learned a lot from Mike in this business, being his coworker at the Wolverine. And then he was my employer at, you know, at the at Wolverine Digest for the last year. So I value his opinion. And he said, you know, maybe, and we were both in agreement, agreement. He said, maybe this week toned down the, you know, going after Jim Harbaugh, maybe, you know, and I was like, yeah, dude, I get the sense like you can only beat that dead horse so much. And then we started watching the Wisconsin game and we were both like, dude, forget that like this is another level of low like it just keeps going down another notch and another notch and another notch and and it's I, I like I, I don't I was gonna say I hate to say it I don't hate to say it the numbers back up that you could write the same fire Jim Harbaugh article again with some new words in there and some new scores and it does better than the last one like it's it's crazy where things are right now and what's happening and it just doesn't look like it's getting any better because of what Mike talked about that loyalty to an inferior product. I just, I don't, I don't get it. It doesn't work like that in any other arena in life. It just doesn't. And, and we are the, the crazy thing to me, are you guys there? Are you there? Yep. Yeah. The, the crazy thing to me is that we are just four years removed from 78 to nothing against Rutgers. And now we're talking about, Rutgers being having a chance to win this game so that's where it's like I, I it's unexplainable how far this team has dropped in this program in, 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 in Jim Harbaugh's in Jim Harbaugh's sixth year and Greg Schiano's first in his second stint but yes yes yeah second time around but first first time in, in Rutgers is bad like bad bad right historically now. bad until yes i mean this season they've been all right but in the past few years they've been literally historically bad um, you look at that in state too i mean michigan won by 30 or you know give or take last time what was the final score exactly i don't remember but and then you know here's harbaugh in year six mel tucker in year one gets a w i it just that's I, I don't know how to – I don't know what words to describe it. I really don't. Well, and you even listen to Herb Street and Fowler on Saturday night. They had no idea what to say about it either. And those <laughs> guys are, you know, as knowledgeable as anybody in the in that industry. And they're sitting there – I mean, they're literally I, – I, Herb, Street's, Herb Street's quote was, I can't believe I'm in Michigan Stadium watching Michigan football right now. This can't yeah. be the real program that they're, you know, trotting out onto this field. So – um, yeah, it, it's, it's an, I, 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 nobody understands everyone's been searching for the words and searching for the answers. There isn't a single person out there that has an answer. And I don't think there's anybody inside Schembechler hall that has an answer either. Yeah, I agree. No, it, it, 
It's bad all the way around. It's bad all the way around. Well, on uh, Thursday's podcast, Justin and I are going to try to grade the position groups halfway through the year. That ought to be fun, Justin. Um, but gonna... we'll also talk – we can also talk some Michigan hockey. I mean, they had an awesome weekend. They swept Arizona State 8-1 uh, to one and then 3 to nothing on uh, Saturday and Sunday. They look good. I, don't, I, I haven't seen updated rankings yet, but I imagine they're going to go from number 12 to probably number, like, 6 uh, in college hockey. Uh, basketball gets started. Uh, we still don't know Michigan's full schedule, but Bowling Green has released theirs, and it looks like Michigan is playing Bowling Green uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So pretty soon we'll have Michigan basketball um, to talk about in addition to Michigan hockey. And, and who knows, maybe Michigan will go out there and beat Rutgers. Uh, we'll talk more about it uh, this Thursday. But, Brandon, uh, any final thoughts as Michigan prepares for Rutgers this week? Um, again, I mean, yeah, the Michigan's favored. Uh, was it, is it by 10 or by 7? I, I think I've seen both. Um, but you know, just your thoughts on this game. Uh, I, I mentioned where we feel like we're, we hit rock bottom. We're like in the depths of Hades right now. Uh, but is there further to go? Man, dude, if it gets to the point where, I mean, I, you know, I said it, you know, going in the, into the Indiana game, I picked Michigan to win. Um, if you want to look at my betting on my betting, uh, history on, on my website here. Uh, I did something else, but I, I picked Michigan to win against Indiana on my, on the website. But then after that game and how they looked and, you know, 17 points, it's freaking Indiana, man. I mean, I know they're pretty good this year, but I don't, I literally don't know. And I'd have to go back and go through the whole roster. I don't think there's one player on Indiana's roster that had a committable offer to Michigan, not one. And so like it always comes back to talent for me in my head because I covered recruiting for so long. I see what supremely talented players look like going up against lesser talented players. And I just can't fathom how you have such a collection of talent on paper like Michigan does and lose that game by 17 and then lose by 40 to Wisconsin. But I said, after Indiana, I said, I'm not going to be duped again. Like this team is not fooling me. I'm not buying the stuff that the coaches are selling. I'm, I'm over it. Like they're, and I picked them to lose to Wisconsin by 10 or 13 Obviously, it was way worse than that. I don't I – don't, how can you pick them to lose to freaking Rutgers? Like, what the hell? But I just – I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. Like, I really wouldn't be surprised if it happened. So, thoughts going into Rutgers is that they'll win. I, I, think you, I think you should start Joe Milton. I think you should try to figure out one or two running backs to get the bulk of the carries. I think you should do all the stuff I've been talking about all year, but we'll see because it hasn't happened yet. Well, thank you, Brandon, for coming on with us today. Um, thanks for your, your insight here. Obviously, we're all a little uh, frazzled and don't know what the hell to say. So uh, <laughs> thanks for coming on and trying to put some words together for us. You can follow Brandon at BSB Wolverine on Twitter. He is the publisher of WolverineDigest.com, so you can find all his stuff, articles and videos and everything else on WolverineDigest.com. So go check him out there. Um, you can follow us. At Stadium Main Pod on Twitter, I'm at Justin Row 92 and Mike is at Michael Spath ITH. Uh, so give us all a follow if you uh, if you want some more Michigan uh, analysis and insight. Maybe you don't want that. That I'm a, I'm understanding if you don't want to see any more of it because I don't know if I even want to put it out there. So uh, thanks for listening, and we will see you all on Thursday. This is the Stadium and Main Podcast. Presented by Kapnick Insurance Group, Wolverine State Brewing Company, and Lewis Jewelers.